This is Kathy Garver, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts, we're welcoming you back to TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television that is playing highlights of our previous conversations with film and TV actor William Shallard. As part of this holiday weekend edition of our program, William Shallard, of course, one of the most prolific character actors in film and TV history. All of you know him for his appearances on The Patty Duke Show, The Admiral on Get Smart, Mr. Pomfret on Dobie Gillis, Gidget's Dad on The New Gidget, and many other films and TV series. We spoke to Bill on several occasions in the early 2010s. William Schaller passed away in 2016 at the age of 93. Bill's birthday, by the way, was July 6, 1922, which means we're also commemorating the anniversary of his birth as part of this week's program. Let's see, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Ralph Frude. Yes. Okay, Okay. I got it right. Ralph Frude was an early supporter uh, in, in your career. I understand Mabel Albertson, the great character actress who played Darren's mom on Bewitched and practically everybody else's mom. You know, yeah. in in the sixties, I understand that Mabel was a, a was an also a supporter of yours early in your career. Oh yeah, yeah, she was. She and and the and the girl, uh, I call her a girl, but Blossom Axt, who was the daughter of a of a songwriter, Harry Axt, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. But she she was the one who invited me to read for the play, and uh, that that led to the other stuff. But Mabel had been directing the Andrews Sisters when they went on tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jerry Epstein, who was the head of the Arts Theater, was the road manager for them. So uh, we were all kind of, all kinds of people who were hooked together. You know how it is in the, in the professional situation. There's a, a lot of people who do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and they're all part of the overall picture. So she was a very important person, mainly because she liked my work right away, and I felt, wow, she's she's a professional actress. So if she likes me, maybe there's some hope for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was true. She she cast me twice, and we were going to do a protect. The first play was supposed to be a, of this theater was supposed to be a little Scottish comedy called Genie. Mm-hmm. I don't know who wrote it or anything, but there'd been a movie made by with that title. And Jerry Epstein, the guy who was choosing the plays and sort of being the producer for the group, he said uh, he thought it was a good choice. But a lot of people who who were helped build the theater, construct the inside of the theater, and uh, modify a drugstore that had been there for about about uh, 50 years or something like that, 35 years maybe, uh, was on, on the same corner where the theater still exists today. It's called the El Centro Theater now, I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway... These people had were all dedicated to the theater and very serious about it. And they said, well, we don't want to do a piece of fluff like that. Why don't you get a serious play? So uh, Jerry got one that is pretty doer, a really uh, strong play called Ethan Frome. The, the original book was written by uh, Edith Wharton, who was primarily known for for studies of people in New York society. But this was about a rather grim play about New Englanders who were living a hard scrabble life in Vermont, where the soil is very rocky and it's hard to grow stuff. 
and uh, Ethan was a farmer there. And it's a story about him and his wife, Zena, who is uh, very possessive of him and who is um, a very difficult person to begin with and who, do who doesn't cut him much slack. And Ethan, uh, the, she ha hires a girl to help around the house, uh, named, a girl named Maddie, mm -hmm. and Ethan and Maddie fall in love and uh, in desperation because Zena... Well, people didn't get divorced, that kind of thing. Right. So they decide they're going to kill themselves, and they try to, and they don't succeed, but instead they they end up being badly crippled by... They get on a sled and go down the hill and run into a tree instead of going off the cliff. So it's, it's, a, it's a compounded tragedy. Not only did they fail to achieve their, their independence and, and or escape from this life, but they also were stuck in much worse conditions than they would have been otherwise. So it's a very, it's a very powerful play, mm -hmm. but pretty grim. So that's the one that we were going to do. And Mabel said, okay, well, I'm going to cast Bill in that. She thought I would be very good for Ethan. I was going to, in the other one, I was going to play this sort of middle, middle European count who, uh, in, in Genie, mm -hmm. who was like a, he was a very charming, suave kind of guy. And Ethan was a real hard rock New England farmer mm -hmm. who talked kind of like that, you know, mm -hmm. the, that down-home accent. And, and Mabel knew that accent because she'd grown up in Connecticut, I think. Her brother was Jack Albertson. Jack Albertson, right. Yeah, very good actor. Mm -hmm. Mabel was a very good actress, and, uh, but she was also a very good director. She did about three, three plays for us. And that was the one. But she was the one who said, no... I like he's got a special quality. Well, so when I heard that, I figured, gee, maybe I'll have something that'll help me as an actor. So. I understand Mabel was also very funny in real life, which you didn't get to see a lot in when in, in her television shows because she always she tended to play, you know, a stick in the mud. But Elizabeth Montgomery uh, said that she she made her laugh all the time when she did Bewitched. Oh yeah, Mabel was a very good comedian. On the stage at the Pasadena Playhouse, mm -hmm. she used to do very high-style comedy. She And she was a very talented woman. She was married uh, also to a, a very good writer at that point uh, named Ken England, mm -hmm. E-N-G-L-U-N-D-E, and they, they, had, they had a son, uh, maybe and a daughter too, but George and Patsy. George England, among other things, he's married to uh, Cloris Leachman, but mm -hmm. he also... He worked with Marlon Brando on, on a movie, and uh, he was a he was a producer, or uh, sort of a, on the edge of being a producer, and uh, he did quite a bit of work behind the camera. He was a good-looking guy, and but I don't think he liked acting very much. But anyway, you know the other people in in that theater, uh, Kathleen Freeman uh, played Zena, mm -hmm. the woman who was so harsh. Yes, and she she was in, she was in a lot of Jerry Lewis movies, and and folks, and she she's uh, Kathleen Freeman. She's she, she's one of those character actresses that you may not recognize her name, but once you see her on screen, you know exactly who she is. And she's a very yeah, she was a very funny lady. Lewis loved her work, and, mm -hmm. and she she did a lot of work. And she she more or less almost died on stage. She was in the Broadway production of a show based on on the small town in the north of England where the guys. The full did the full Monty, you know, where they were going to come mm -hmm. on stage and, mm -hmm. and uh, appear naked on. Stage. Yes, yes, yes. I know the play. 
Yeah, very good. Well, the movie was very funny. Yes. They made a stage play out of it. And Kathleen was a pretty good pianist. And she was playing the piano for that. And she had a good sort of gruff personality, mm-hmm. strong personality, which she wanted to, wanted to. So I think she made use of that in the play. And she, she played up until about three days before she died. She died of, of I think, of lung cancer. And uh, she was still working on Broadway up until, you know, like the end of the week before she died. So it's kind of like what most actors would, the way they'd like to go out, you know. And uh, we had a, we had a couple of other people from the theater. Uh, Strother Martin started there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, wasn't Danny Arnold part of that group? Yeah, no, you're right. Danny Arnold, we did a production of The Time of Your Life, and he played, uh, I think the character's name is Wesley. Mm-hmm. But in any event, he... He was very funny in, in the play, and uh, very bright, and a very good actor, too. Yeah. And then he went on and, and, and did... Um, uh, he did Barney Miller. He also produced Bar- for That Girl. Yeah, Barney Miller, I think he created that. Mm-hmm. He was a very talented guy, and uh, sadly, he's, uh, he's gone. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Ed Robertson, hoping you're enjoying this encore presentation of TV Confidential. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week. When we first started the play, our first production was actually up the street from where we ended up. Uh, we were in in a living room, on and Danny and I used to do the lights. I acted in the play. It was a play called Mr. Zero. Mm-hmm. It's a very good play by Elmer Rice but from the 1920s, an experimental kind of play. Everybody in it had a, a number uh, named Mr. Mr. Zero, and uh, Joe Mantell, who, who played in Marty. Uh, he was Marty's friend mm-hmm. with Ernest Borgnine, you know. Hey, what do you want to do tonight, Marty? I don't know, Angie. What do you want to do? He played Angie, I think. Mm-hmm. And so he, w- he was a good actor from the actor's uh, lab, which was a kind of a... West Coast version of the of the actor's studio, and uh, very very talented guy, and uh, Joe, he he worked with us because even though he wasn't a member of the theater exactly, the actor's lab was a very prominent part of the theater scene in Los Angeles and Hollywood at that time, and uh, they had some very good people. I, I remember Jessica Tandy was seen there in a play by Tennessee Williams. And as a result of, of that, she was cast in the uh, in the first production of *The Streetcar Named Desire* in New York, played Blanche Dubois. Mm-hmm. And she was a very talented actress, but uh, she came out of this out of the actor's lab, which was I say was kind of like the Group Theater West. Mm-hmm. Uh, the group Theater was, you know, a major vehicle for establishing the, the Stanislavski method in this country. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. We had contacts with all kinds of people in town who were involved in serious attempts to do theater, but it was the beginning days. Now there are probably, I don't know, 50 theater companies in town, all of which have a, a serious approach to it. They're all, it's kind of like off-Broadway all over Southern California, and they're, they're very good theaters, and they, but they're generally very small. Equity has a special contract covering them, the 99-seat theater. Uh, and most of them have more than 99 seats, but, but some of them have less. 
So we, we used to have about 100, and we could seat 140 in the theater when when it was full, when, when we didn't have scenery that interfered. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes we would have scenery when we did The Time of Your Life, we, uh, which is laid in the saloon. We converted the theater into that saloon. So when people walked into the theater, it was like they were, they were, they were coming into the saloon itself, uh, sawdust on the floor and tables around, and then they would sit around. The whole acting area itself, the space for acting, was only about 8 by 10 feet, so it was very intimate, and uh, and the audience was really right on top of you. Yeah, and I would, I, I would think, I mean, um, I, I'm not an actor, but just ha- you know, having the opportunity to talk to actors such as yourself who have theater experience i understand that especially in a in a theater and around very intimate setting because the audience is also the, the audience is always different every night and they're the, the audience themselves is a character and they will they, they will tell you whether whether a line works or doesn't work and if you're if if they're really close to you i mean that that could be very beneficial to an actor it can if they like you. Yes. <laughs> they don't, it can be very disappointing. Yes. It's like being in your own living room mm-hmm. and, and working with the people. And it's where I met my wife, by the way. She just walked into the room. Oh. She, we did a production of, of Rain, which June Havoc had, had seen uh, plays at the theater. And we thought that she, she didn't really like the work we did very much because she and her husband, who was a guy, a radio producer named... Bill Spear, he, S-P-I-E-R, he was in the, in the heyday of radio, like in the late 40s when radio was still alive. He, uh, he did shows like Suspense and Sam Spade and things like that. So he was married to, to June, and, uh, but she was the one, you know, she was Gypsy Rose Lee's sister. Mm-hmm. And the character is very much alive and well in, in the play, you know, um, Gypsy the musical mm-hmm. so she she had come she'd seen our i, w- I was going to break out in the song but i i did uh, I, I can't carry a tune so i was i was going to spare you that oh that's all right <laughs> <laughs> so she loved the theater it turned out and the reason she didn't laugh much during the comedies was that she was a professional and so when she'd see something funny that we did she'd say oh that's very good. That's funny. Did like that, you know. But it was a serious. It's kind of like a professional's reaction mm-hmm. to it. Oh yeah, no, I know what they're doing. That's very good. <laughs> so anyway, so she asked us if she could do a play with us, and she wanted to do Rain, mm-hmm. uh, which is this rather melodramatic play based on the Somerset Mom short story uh, about a preacher named the Reverend Davidson, who comes to a small South Sea island place with his wife and their missionaries and they're trying to root out evil wherever they find it that that's his action in life Mm -hmm. and uh they they arrive at the same time that that sadie thompson gets there and she's she's basically a a hooker but but that's not what they say in the play Mm -hmm. it's a little too early in the development of playwriting for them to to define her that sharply but it was clear that she was an easy girl uh, to, to score with and a uh, and very flamboyant character, too. So June had done the musical version of this. It was called Miss Sadie Thompson mm-hmm. in New York. 
and she wanted to do the the real play out here on the West Coast just to establish her acting chops because she wanted to get into movies and start working. And, and this is a way to do it. We had a good reputation. When Charlie Chaplin, whose son Sidney was part of the theater, mm-hmm. he was one of the, the three owners. Jerry Epstein, Sidney, and I were the three owners of the theater. That just means we were the people who put some money into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had I'd saved some money from when I was flying, and so I, and I used it up mostly when I was getting started in the theater. I kind of bought my way in, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> they did think I could act. So anyway, I played, I was going to play Reverend Davidson, which is generally played by uh, Walter Houston did mm-hmm. it in a movie with Joan Crawford. And uh, he, was, he was, all of these people were older than I was. And they weren't real old, so I couldn't do beards and mustaches and things like that for them. It was just me, and I had to somehow convey the fact that I was older than I was. I was, I, I used to say I played Reverend Davidson as a stripling, because I was only about, I was in my 20s. Right. And, and Reverend Davidson was probably a man in his 40s, maybe even a little older than that. So when Charlie Chaplin heard that she was interested in doing it, he said, oh, well then I would, I would like to direct it for you, because I've always loved that play, and I saw it with Gene Eagles in New York when it was first done, and I thought they did it all wrong. So I'd like to fix that. <laughs> that was basically his approach. He, he, and Gene Eagle's performance in it was quite famous, but that didn't impress Chaplin, you know. Why would it? So he directed Rain. I, I've been directed on the stage by the, the great Charlotte uh, Chaplin. <laughs> he, was, he used to come down to the theater when we were, uh, when we were re- getting ready to open the play. We'd be in the last stages of rehearsal, and... He would come down with Una, his wife, mm-hmm. Una O'Neill, mm-hmm. and he would sit and watch the first act of a, of a play that we were, uh, we were very close to opening, and he'd, he'd say, Ah, now, could, could we just go back to the beginning of this for a moment? And uh, let, let me see, now, well, well, how did it start? And uh, somebody would start, and he says, Ah, yes, yes, that's the fun. He said, Now, look, uh, dear boy, you, you must do something a little different there. And then he would proceed to tell you, tell you or show you what he thought it should be like. And the first thing you know, he was redirecting the play. And he would do that with plays that were going to open in a week. And he would do it for a couple of nights in a row. And he'd come back the second night and see what, what we were doing. He'd say, oh, no, that's all wrong. Well, let's do it again. <laughs> so it was a, a vivid and wonderful experience to work with Chaplin. But it was also a little harrowing. You know, I mean, we were, and he would stay there all night. It would be dawn, and the, the dawn would be breaking, and mm-hmm. Una would be saying, Charlie, we've got to go. These poor kids have to get up and, and, and rehearse tomorrow, and they've got other things to do. We can't, we can't keep them any longer. So he'd, in the gray, gray light of dawn, they would go out and climb into his, he had a, a plain black Ford sedan. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing fancy, but but it was new, but but not a, a fancy limousine or anything like that. And they would drive to his uh, a real mansion on Tower Drive in Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he would come back the next night, and, and Una would be with him, and uh, 
she'd be the one who would be trying to shepherd him, uh, control him, and get him home in time so that we would be able to get some sleep and do whatever we had to do. You're listening to a conversation with actor William Shellert that originally aired in July 2013. We'll play more of our conversation after this quick time out here on TV Confidential. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast you can enjoy. This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415 415- 886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.